Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. It's Wednesday, November the 15th, and you're very welcome to the latest instalment of the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. With me in studio are our political editor, Pat Lee and managing editor, Cliff Taylor. And today we wanted to take a deep breath and try to get a handle on what's actually going on in the Brexit negotiations as they enter what looks like their most urgent and pressing phase so far. But first, Pat, a more important issue, Ireland's not going to Russia next summer. No. Um, it, it takes uh, up... I, uh, I counted this about 70% of your email digest this morning. Well, a pall of gloom uh, sits over the nation this morning and uh, those of us who report on politics uh, cannot be immune to this. And of course, there are political lessons in Ireland's experience uh, last night. Which are? Well, that's what took the time to figure out in the uh, the hours before dawn this morning. But the lesson that um, I took out of it uh, was that, uh, you know, fortune doesn't always favour the bold that uh, hope and optimism will only bring you so far. Fortune often favours people who are prepared and methodical and uh, have the technical preparations in uh, in place uh, more often than it... uh, then it favours uh, headstrong optimism. So there's a lesson not just for politics and for Brexit, but for life. But for life, indeed. We need a holding midfielder in the, in the cabinet, Pat. Is that the, you know, is that part of the message here? Well, actually... The, As opposed to all playmakers? The, the first thought... Watch as uh, this metaphor gets stretched beyond the breaking point. <laughs> the, first, the first thought Already that there. struck me is that uh, the chances of, a, uh, of a, a snap election called next year on the back of... Uh, World Cup feel-good fever um, have uh, have diminished, uh, but the more I thought about it, uh, the more the more I thought that actually, uh, uh, even though these things maybe play absolutely no part in the calculations of uh, whoever may call the next election, be it the Taoiseach or the leader of the opposition, and of course it's open to both of them uh, to do so, that uh, they better have their they better have their ducks in a row. Uh, for us, I mean, if you look at what happened to Theresa May, maybe Theresa May is a more uh, is a more opposite comparison or more uh, a more direct lesson for them than Martin O'Neill. But uh, it struck me also last night watching uh, the evisceration of Martin O'Neill on um, on social media and his difficult interview with uh, Tony O'Donoghue on uh, on on RTE. How uh, how one can go in positions of leadership from uh, from hero to zero in a very short period of very, time. Very quickly, indeed. I mean, the other thing that struck me, and this may be relevant to the conversation on which we are about to embark, is that there is uh, a national propensity uh, towards wishful thinking at times. Uh, the Rugby World Cup uh, is being decided this week, and I think a lot of people in Ireland were shocked that we didn't do as well in the initial uh, technical analysis as we thought we will, even though it was based on facts like our broadband infrastructure or the size of our stadiums. There was some kind of a ah, sure, it'll do element. It seemed to be both with the hopes for the soccer team and also the rugby team. And yeah, the rugby. I, 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 I wonder, I, is there any fear that there might be something similar in the subject that we're about to discuss, which is the Brexit negotiations? Well, certainly, you know, looking at, uh, you know, 
looking at the state of preparations for Brexit and what the government has said about them. Now, I have no doubt that an awful lot of work is um, is going on. But the fact remains that last week, you know, the Taoiseach was saying he was optimistic about a uh, breakthrough, more optimistic than he was before the October so much that sufficient progress would be achieved in the first phase of the negotiations so that the second phase, incorporating crucially the trade relationship between the EU and the UK after Brexit, uh, could be given the go-ahead by EU leaders. Um, and on Sunday, he was uh, he was saying that we need to make preparations for uh, a no-deal Brexit, which is, of course, at the very other end uh, of the spectrum. So, you know, in, in, in a sense, and the Taoiseach said this in his speech to the Fine Gael National Conference in Cavan on Friday night, a lot of this may be outside our control. And I think we're beginning to see, uh, you know, in, in Brussels and in the mood music, both in Brussels and in London, um, the possibility that this no-deal Brexit, that a full breakdown of the negotiations and an unruly departure of, an unruly and unplanned departure of the British from the EU is gaining ground as a possibility. I still think it's unlikely and probably far below 50, uh, far below 50% in terms of its, of its probability. But at the time of the Brexit vote, you would have said that was a, maybe a one or Two percent possibility. Now I don't know how you would quantify it, but it's probably in the region of thirty or forty percent. So, yeah. so, and and I'll come to you on that in a sec, uh, Cliff. But the clock is ticking, and that TikTok noise seems to be getting ever louder at the moment. Can we just run that clock back for a minute? You know, in summer last year, the the uh, the British people voted in a referendum by fifty two percent to forty eight percent to leave the European Union. That precipitated a change of Prime Minister in the United Kingdom. And in March of this year, Theresa May um triggered by sending a letter to Brussels, Article fifty. What is Article fifty and what does it actually do? Because it's it, it, that is what has initiated the process which we're in the midst of right now. Sure. Well it's a it's a it's a two year process under which countries leave the European Union uh, as as set down in EU law. Uh, About 20 years or more ago, it was set down or devised. I think it was the Lisbon yeah, right. Treaty, Treaty, which okay, was so 2005. Yeah. 2008, 2005 yeah. is its first iteration, and then hmm. 2008. Yeah. So I suppose one of the difficulties is that it, it, it was drawn up uh, probably on, on, with the thought that it was unlikely that anyone would ever use it. Uh, and perhaps no, you know, no huge thought was, was, was given to how it might work in practical terms. Is there any possibility that even taking that into account was perhaps drawn up to to look unattractive to anybody who oh, might absolutely. think of using it? Absolutely, and mm. that is still a big issue in the negotiations. That uh, and, and one of the factors playing into it that the other European countries feel they can't make it look in any way easy for Britain or painless for Britain uh, because that could encourage others to leave in future. Um, so whatever happens, you know, this isn't going to be made easy for Theresa May and her government. Uh, I think it's become increasingly clear over the last few months that the other European countries, whatever about our whatever about our feelings and, and Ireland's exposure to this and Ireland's particular exposure, uh, there's an increasing kind of mood coming from other EU countries that 
the public debate has moved on there to a large extent to other things in Germany and France. And okay, Brexit's important, but it's only one of the things to be dealt with. And they don't see any particular reason to be, you know, to be helpful or or nice to Britain or to or to or to help them. Okay, in their that's, that's, that's this, this is one of okay. the great misunderstandings. It seems to me in British public and political debate about that is the asymmetrical nature of the relationship. So the British keep saying, of course there will be a deal, of course the EU will come to their senses and give us a favourable trade deal, give us all the things we want, nearly all the advantages of participation in the single market without any of the the bits of it that we don't like, such as free movement and uh, uh, the ability to, to, or the the inability, if you remember, to, to negotiate your own trade deals. So the British still seem to believe this because they, they rightly point out that the EU does uh, more trade or the, 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 there's a trade imbalance between the EU as a whole and the British. So they, the EU sells more into Britain than, the, than Britain sells to the EU. But that's taking the EU as a whole. And while the bloc negotiates as, uh, as, uh, as a single bloc, as a 27-member bloc, the decisions taken by many of the, or the, the, the national interest as defined by many individual states is uh, they're not looking at the bloc as a whole, they're looking at their own national interest. So when Cliff says, you know, in, in, in Paris and in Berlin, they're thinking, well, look, you know, Brexit is undesirable, but won't really affect us because they're thinking about the trade that Germany does with the, with the, uh, with the UK rather than the EU as a whole. Oh. And that, it seems to me, they don't get. Okay, well, can I just ask you, because I know you've both written about that misunderstanding and an awful lot of the, 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 the journalism, including in Ireland in particular and in this newspaper indeed over the last year or so, uh, has been about a dysfunctional British political establishment. And so, for example, Pat talks there about a kind of a fundamental misunderstanding of what the dynamics are uh, of this process. Um, what... Why is that misunderstanding still there? I mean, I mean, these are not incompetent people, the senior civil servants in, in Whitehall and some of the senior politicians involved. They haven't lost all competence or the ability to recognise the picture which Pat has just painted, have they? I'm sure they haven't. And you would have to think that a lot of the senior civil servants in Britain would be banging their banging their ministers' heads against the, the wall and trying to get this message across to them. But uh, the, the particular political situation in Britain... Uh, the attempts by parts of the cabinet to undermine Theresa May, combined with this long history of ambivalence towards uh, the European Union, suspicion of the European Union and and hostility on on some, Mm. seems to be playing into kind of a, playing into a a theme in London that uh, they just can't get themselves together to even negotiate properly. So, you know, heading into the December summit, uh, which is going to make the key decision about whether the talks can now progress to the next stage. Uh, there were a couple of things that were set out that had to be agreed before three, that happened. Three key so elements. Three key elements. Yeah. So there was the mutual rights of citizens, Britons living in Europe, European p- people living in Britain. Which seems soluble or resolvable. Which is soluble and there has mm-hmm. been progress on that, although it's not it's not done yet. Uh, there was the fractious issue of the uh, how much Britain would pay its it, the, the so-called divorce bill, what or its liabilities towards Europe, and the so-called Irish issues. Now, certainly on two of those, uh, there has been precious little evident progress made. I think in, uh, in, in you know in the last six months. Okay, some of the Irish stuff 
uh, in terms of the common travel area and the things that, that cross-border cooperation, there has been some progress there for sure. Uh, but in terms of the actual border and how that would operate, we're no clearer than we were, I, I think, uh, when Britain, the day after Britain left, what, what the solution would be to that, if there is one. And on the question of the, of the exit bill, uh, which is going to become a really big deal over the next few weeks. We, we still don't know. There are reports one day from Britain that Theresa May is willing to pay a lot more. Then the next day, those reports are contradicted and we've kind of senior Tory figures coming up and saying, you know, we owe nothing. We have no commitments. To I heard John Redwood saying that very thing exactly. at the weekend. Exactly. Yeah. All these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, with the, Brit- the British political establishment, it seems to me, is having some sort of a nervous breakdown. I mean, there's there's a sense in which what is going on is not a kind of a clear-headed evaluation of Britain's national interests in the post-Brexit world. It's a sort of a it's 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 a it's another and most serious iteration of the Conservative Party's long civil war about Europe, and this all but uh, this is all but destroyed Conservative governments in uh, in the past, and it is doing so. Again, now that reflects a sort of a, a deeper fissure, I think, in, in, in English and in British national life uh, about Europe. And what we're seeing is a particularly septic political manifestation of, uh, of, of that at the moment. And that's why, you know, I don't think, I, I think there is the possibility for this to get uh, a lot worse. I mean, the Prime Minister is Prime Minister Theresa May is is almost without authority in her own cabinet now, and this is one of the things that's giving this sort of negative feedback loop with regard to the negotiations because European leaders don't know if they should cut a deal with Theresa May because they expect that she will probably be gone by the time Brexit comes to be delivered, and she that in turn makes her weaker at home and prevents her from making the sort of concessions that would cut a deal, such as on the money, as Cliff has uh, outlined, she may not be strong enough to make the sort of offer that will have to be made, incidentally, in the next two weeks if there is going to be progress by December. And if there isn't progress by December and the mechanics of summits work in such a way that the summit's on the 14th, 15th of December. There will have to be clear, and not just a wink and a nod, clear, take-it-to-the-bank guarantees from Britain that they will meet the sort of bill that the EU has Which identified. Which is around €60 billion Euro or thereabouts. Thereabouts, yeah. That will have to be done in uh, uh, by, I think, the end of November in two weeks' time. Or the December summit will as the October one did, we'll find that sufficient progress, to use the phrase that Michel Barnier keeps uh, keeps talking about, has not been made. And if that happens, then I think the prospect for a breakdown, a total breakdown of the negotiations takes a quantum A total fault. breakdown as opposed to a deferral to whatever the next summit is, which is March or something, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I uh, think what Michel Barnier said that if, if, if there's no agreement in December that Europe will have to reflect on what happens next. I, I think more, I think it would be a bigger earthquake in Britain. Yes. Because I think it would be a, a, a more significant undermining of Mrs May's position because the only rationale within the Tory party, the 
Theresa May is not going to lead them into the next election unless the government falls over uh, falls over tomorrow, which, of course, we can't discount the possibility of either. It's a minority government supported by the DUP. And uh, I, I, I think, but the only rationale for keeping her there is it's that she does the, the deal. Process, is the process she happens. does the Brexit mm. deal. But if it becomes apparent that a Brexit deal is unlikely to be done or if the chances of a Brexit deal not being done take a leap forward as failure to judge the so is there, is December there, would be, poli- then I, I think... So politically then, is there a, a, an incentive for the, the, the EU27 or elements within the EU27 to kind of to cle- clean this deck, you know, rather than dealing with this hapless figure of Theresa May to force the issue and to say we don't have, we're not having productive negotiations here, uh, feck off and come back when you've sorted yourself out a bit um, and uh, and then wait and see what happens in British domestic politics in the next couple of months next year. I mean, is there actually an incentive for Europe to do that rather than continue with this, what some may see as a charade? I don't think there is an incentive for, uh, for Europe to do that because I think the consequences of that, not least in this country, would be terribly serious. And, you know, while Brexit is not as much of a preoccupation in Paris and Berlin as it is here and uh, and in London, they still, they accept that the UK will leave and they want it to be as trouble-free as possible or they want it to be as, as least damaging as, uh, as possible. Might that of not be more likely do. to happen, though, under a new prime minister or even after an election? Well... Sorry, I was going to say part of the problem is we've run, this thing could, could run out of time, and I think the European leaders would be conscious of that as well. So if you if you look at the timetable, Britain is due to leave at the end of March 2019. Um, so which means that to allow ratification across Europe of of any deal, the talks have to be really wrapped up by the end of next year. Uh, we haven't even got onto the substance of of EU UK trade post Brexit that hasn't been touched yet. Uh, apart from perhaps in some informal context between officials, but that negotiations of that haven't haven't effectively started yet. Nor has there been any negotiation on a transition period for, in other words, what's going to happen the day after Britain leaves the EU, uh, assuming that the whole trade thing isn't worked out by then. Which it can't be. Which really. it can't be. Yeah. So all that has to be all that has to be done. So talking about waiting until a new British government comes into power, it's going to be too late. Unless there's some unanimous decision and also agreed by Britain that the whole thing is going to be extended uh, and that the, the, the process can w- will be extended. Is there no prospect of that at all? Well, there, it's have hard to, to see the Boris Johnson wing yeah. of the Tory party, which is a greater part of it, if not personal to Johnson, then certainly when it comes to Brexit, mm-hmm. agreeing to that. Then that's what votes are on, on this very subject. I, the, the, this Brexit week in Westminster, yeah. fixing a date and putting it into legislation passed by the passed by the House at, at Westminster. One of the absurdities of it is that there is not a majority in the House of Commons for a hard Brexit, but that is what they are. Impl- that is what they will implement. Let's just leave aside for a moment the question of the the sixty billion or whatever it is the the, the bill for Britain. The third leg of this is uh, is Ireland. So Ireland is very prominent in the in the first phase of these ne- negotiations. Um, I've always been a bit confused um, by by this, not so much by the common travel area and those kinds of issues, which, as you say, some progress has been made on Cliff. But the the question of what kind of border exists on the island of Ireland, it always seemed to me was impossible to make real concrete progress on until you knew what 
the United Kingdom's new relationship in terms of the movement of people and goods was going to be with the European Union. How could you do one before you'd done the oh, other? You're talking now like the Tories, Hugh. <laughs> That's the argument they've well, been making. always wrong. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that. of course, of course you can't, uh, you can't completely sort that, sort that out. Uh, on, until um, until you know what the trade relationship is going to be, I suppose if we reel back a bit, and you know, we, we think when when the three conditions were set, uh, Britain was already saying that it was going to leave the single market and the customs union. In other words, it was going to leave the EU trading bloc as well as the EU. It was going to be a clean break after Brexit, and the inevitable consequence of that is that you're going to need a border back on the island of Ireland because it is a border between an EU country and, and a country outside the EU. And there really is no kind of, there's no middle ground there, I guess. So I think what the, on, on the one side we've had the last few months, we've had the British government saying what you've said there, that this can't be sorted out until we know what the trading arrangement is going to be, number one. And number two, that there are ways to make any kind of border more flexible and to avoid a hard border. So this 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 uh, phrase of avoiding a hard border has come into the negotiations. And like, what is a hard border? How do you define it? Is the is the Dublin government's view of a hard border the same as the one in London? Uh, so, looking at it from the Irish point of view, uh, the danger we face going into the the next few weeks uh, is of that is of that question being fudged going into the next stage. Uh, but how can it not be fudged? It, it, I, what the Irish government is looking for, I think, is and is it agrees completely that you can't have a concrete solution to the border problem until you know the trading relationship. But given the term, the determination of the British to leave the single market and to leave the customs union, we know that uh, you know that there will be some sort of that the, that the, the likelihood barring a an extension or a reinvention of the customs union mm. that includes british associate membership or something uh, or something like that which it seems to me is a long shot because the fundamental requirement of britain the reason that it's leaving the customs union is that it so it can negotiate negotiate its own trade deals and there are countries in the customs union like turkey but they're bound by eu trade deals and that is not going to happen with uh, that's not going to happen with the uk so even in a zero tariff free trade agreement there may be a need for some sort of border border not necessarily controls but some sort of border regime that involves the uh, the checking of uh, the checking of goods what the irish government is looking for is declarations by the british about what sort of things what sort of solutions to this problem of having some sort of controls, albeit soft controls or point of origin controls or, or, or whatever model they have envisaged, while at the same time maintaining their pledge to no border, no actual border on the island. Of okay, so that's, what, what that's the that... Irish government is looking for is not, not a specific design or something, but language committing the British government to implementing... Uh, to implementing those sort of solutions. And is that, w- would that language be more concrete 
um, than we've heard previously because we hear all this vague stuff about oh there are lots of technological solutions yeah. these days to these things and we am sh- I'm sure we can work it out and there's these expressions of of goodwill which seem to me to be pretty meaningless. It's not that they're meaningless, but they're not sufficient for the Irish government to consent to uh, sufficient pro- the sufficient progress yeah. test being met. The problem is there is there is no obvious solution or no no obvious solution that everyone is going to sign up to because so, these are two fundamentally clashing imperatives to keep keep an open border and to have Britain outside but then I'm sorry I'm banging on about this then what is it really that the Irish that the Irish government wants beyond saying and you know we had this this thing a few months ago when Leo Varadkar said that they weren't engaging anymore in these issues of looking at these technological solutions basically on that kind of you know it's that American phrase you know the pottery barn rule you know you broke it you own it seem to be the kind of the, the yeah. theory you know yeah, you're leaving absolutely. you know you come up with the solutions we're folding our arms and we're waiting here for you to come back with something but what do they actually want? Well, I'm not sure they with? know what they want I mean what they want uh, the ideal solution for Ireland is for Britain to remain in the trading bloc, to remain in the customs union in the single market. Which they won't. Which they probably won't, but gosh, who knows, you know, uh, because the, the costs of leaving it are so high. The, the, the second, I suppose, option would be some kind of special status for the north so that the north of Ireland remains in the, in the customs union, for example, and there's free trade across the border. But the problem then is you need customs controls between the north and, uh, and and Britain, and that's been seems and to be poo pooed by uh, the majority of conservative voices I've yeah, heard in in the UK. But, not uh, to mention uh, the DUP, and also by the DUP. Mm. And then you're into some kind of a, as Pat's saying, can you construct some kind of a new customs union, which is something similar? But it, but it's very difficult, and um, and the main reason it's very difficult is, is, as Pat said, Britain wants to do the UK wants to do new trade deals. With with America, with Mexico, with Brazil, with with who with whomever, after Brexit, and there needs to be some controls in terms of those uh, the goods coming from those countries entering the European Union. I suppose what what I wonder here is going to go back a bit. Enda Kenny got quite a lot of praise for making Ireland, you know such a prominent part of the first phase of these negotiations because and you know making Brussels and the, the, the 27 nations take that on board and I think some people were quite surprised to see it as prominent as it was but now we're kind of faced with the question of what do we want here like, and for example if it's not sufficient what happens and what is sufficiency because I don't know what the answers to any of those things are <laughs> and it looks to me neither do you <laughs> <laughs> well I mean one of the one of the things we don't know and I mean obviously in a negotiation no side is going to show their bottom line so okay. does Ireland know what its bottom line is has it decided what its bottom line is it's, you know we certainly haven't been told yet but as Pat said we want some commitment on the border before we give the nod at this summit and the interesting one of the interesting things about this summit is the overall process of article 50 when it comes to the end of the negotiations will be decided on the basis of what's called qualified majority voting, strong qualified majority voting. So it doesn't but, require unanimity? No, but this phase hmm. uh, is, is, is effectively a political decision to be decided by the European Council, which does work by, by unanimity. Uh, and, and the phrase is, with no, uh, with no delegation objecting. So, you know, it would be a, a really big call for Ireland to put its hand up here, and the Taoiseach has indicated that, you know, and, and stop things if everything else was sorted out. And Leo Varadkar has suggested that that we won't do that. 
but clearly we do have some leverage here. But one one of the one of the real crunches for the Irish government is there's this border issue, the, the so-called north-south issue, which there's been a lot of attention in the last uh, in the last few uh, few weeks, and, and you know what's going to happen. But there's also the issue of trade between Ireland and the UK and Ireland's desire to get the talks on to the next phase to discuss a trading arrangement. The last thing we need is for this thing to break down and also to, dis- to, to decide on the transition arrangement, which is going to be really important for Irish exporters to the UK. So there's 101 issues. So it's pretty complex game theory here, so it whatever is. So the game is that's being played, which on, I'm a bit on, unclear on. On the one hand, Ireland wants enough progress on the border issue, but on the other hand, we... The last thing we want is for the talks to collapse at this stage. Well, there's also, there are, there are simple, I mean, they're tremendously complex there. I mean, when you talk about the kind of 100 different issues mm. that, um, you know, that are involved in the, uh, in the border negotiations. But there's also a kind of a simple equation, I think, which, you know, the British will have to face up to sooner or later, or probably sooner if the Irish government keeps its relatively firm line over the coming weeks, is that, they want two mutually conflicting things. They want to be outside the EU and the, and the, uh, common, the, the, the customs union and all that apparatus. And they also want to maintain an open border on the island of Ireland. And to now, have one, of, Europe as well. one of one of the, and to have free trade with Europe. So they will have to make some concessions. They will have to want one of those things more than the other. And that has been really, you know, the question that I've had about the British assurances from the word go, and also to a lesser extent about the EU's position, because they both, both the EU, speaking collectively, and the British have said that Ireland is a priority in the Brexit negotiations. But how much of a priority is it? Well, indeed. Is it the top priority or is it somewhere lower down the pecking order? It seems to me for the British, it is lower down the pecking order because they are saying despite the difficulty it will cause Ireland, the difficulty it will cause on the border, they're prepared to wear that, whatever the difficulty is, because it's more important to them to leave. And what about for the EU? Where is it in the pecking order? I think the evidence so far suggests to us that it's very high up there. It's one of the three tests that have to be satisfied before sufficient uh, progress is made before the second phase of the talks on trade and the future relationship starts. But if the other two elements are satisfied, are, are, are concluded to the EU satisfaction or at least sufficient progress is made on them, if the bill is satisfied and if the citizens' rights aspects is satisfied... And the Irish aspect of it is not satisfied to the Irish government's uh, liking. Then we'll find out in the coming weeks how important. And isn't it there is the issue the because Cliff makes the Cliff, Cliff well, makes the, such an important. I point. think the very important point here that the Irish government has a number of really significant objectives or or interests to defend and 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 to juggle here. So that one of the reasons why the border. Uh, has been such a major, major part of the EU's agenda and the, the island of Ireland is because people used to be killed because of this political issue. And that was resolved by a political dispensation which happened between two EU nations and which has been, despite everything, a great political success. People no longer really get killed because of the, because of these these issues. And that is one of the reasons why that, it, that, that item is, is so high on the agenda. 
But equally for the Irish government, for Leo Varadkar and for Simon Coveney, is it not true that just as significant, but perhaps more difficult to pursue, is the is the vital economic interests of Ireland in terms of east-west trade. And, you know, and, and the absolute nightmare, there is no other country in the European Union that would be as adversely affected by, by, uh, by a breakdown in the talks as Ireland would sure, be. Sure, and there's, I mean, there's a couple of key areas that, that were vulnerable. You're right, the food industry, the, da- the dairy industry, particularly... The example of cheddar cheese processors that's widely uh, quoted. Uh, a large amount of the Irish milk pool goes into p- processing cheddar cheese. The UK is pretty much the only export market for that. And the beef sector. So you're, so you're looking at specific industries uh, and pockets of the country around the border and the rural areas that, are that are all, particularly are they, but exposed. But they're not also huge practicalities that huge so, amounts of our economy are I, just absolutely. so intertwined. I was going to say, uh, yeah. and, and the second thing then is is the wider issue of the intertwining and the amount of Irish goods that go on the land bridge, as it's called, through Britain, uh, you know, to France and, and onwards across Europe. Sure. The supply chains uh, run by the big multinationals and, 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 and Irish companies as well. There's, there's all those all those, all those bits, if you like, um, but but as Pat said, we're we're still we're still shooting in the dark here in terms of what kind of a trade deal is going to be possible after Brexit. We haven't even got past the first phase. We haven't even got on to talking about this stuff in any kind of a serious way. Britain has put out some position papers, which really didn't add a lot to to the debate. The EU has sat back and. Uh, so, so we find ourselves, I, I, I think, a bit caught going into the summit, wanting to highlight the border issue and its huge political significance for Ireland. And, and you know, we've really put ourselves, you know, we, we've made it an issue in the talks as mm. well. But at the same time, we have this other huge national economic interest. And I, I think it's interesting. You've seen some of the senior figures in the business community who I'm sure are in Leo Varadkar's and Simon Coveney and Pascal Donahue's ear behind the scenes now coming out in the last few days. For example, Danny McCoy was in Downing Street as part of a European declaration and came out afterwards and said, oh, of course, the North South is important, but the East-West dimension, the trade dimension, the relationship between the two countries is, is, is also absolutely vital. And so we've two directions, those, two directions if, to try to balance. I mean, in terms of what you're referring to, Pat, there, you know, you know, if, if it were to come to the case where the Irish government has to consider whether to continue to take a hard line on the border issue as we as we approach the December deadline, but no, in the knowledge that the the uh, the impact of that might be to defer or even collapse the negotiations with the, the horrible vista that that portends. This this is the point because Ireland's interests are best served clearly by as close as possible a relationship between the UK and the EU in the post-Brexit world. Maybe the best deal possible. So hmm. what they'll have to consider is whether pursuing this or uh, uh, maintaining this hard line actually endangers, uh, uh, you know, endangers the, the negotiations into the future. So it's, it's an incredibly difficult and complex balance that, um, uh, you know, that has to be struck uh, by Irish politicians and diplomats over the coming weeks. And this is, you know, one of the things that we should note, I think, that we are really reaching a point. I mean, we've been talking about Brexit. I mean, it's only for the last year and a half, but it seems like forever. I know the <laughs> listeners feel exactly the same. But uh, but we are approaching a, a, a really critical point in the process uh, in the coming weeks. And What's the actual immediate time frame then? What what happens over the next few weeks? By at what stage in advance of the summit are we talking? 
you know, the midnight of the day before the summit or what are we talking no, about? There's a, there is a negotiating session uh, tentatively rostered in between Britain and the UK around November the 27th, a few days after that. So coming up to the very, end of December. very late. Which, which, and even that is very late. So you would really want to be going into that negotiating session with with something to negotiate with the basis of an offer from the, Britain on the financial settlement and then going forward to the summit. But the timelines are really, really and tight And is this now. one of these things where you see overnight, you know, the, stuff going on, that kind of high stakes poker the, the, kind the of The way you works, right, is that, you know, leaders don't go into summits or negotiations with a blank sheet in front of them. They go in there with 99% of... Uh, uh, 99% of things agreed there, there have been There have been times, for example, the Greece, the Greece situation a couple of summers ago when, when it's been bashed out at the summit. It, it, more usually, particularly more usually, when absolutely. it comes to, you know, you know technical conclusions sure. and that. So, the, yeah. so the, the EU publishes the conclusions of the summit in the days before the summit. Now, they are draft conclusions and they may be amended by the leaders at the summit and maybe something like that will happen now. But we will know, I think, in a fortnight's time or three weeks' time whether this summit has a reasonable chance Mm -hmm. of success, success being judging that sufficient progress has made and clearing the way for the second uh, round of talks, or whether that is unlikely to happen with all the consequences, particularly in London, that we've discussed earlier. If you had to bet your house on a cliff, what way do you think it's going to go? I find it hard to see them reaching a deal in that, and the studio's falling apart, perhaps. Just to add to the sounds of apocalypse, it's <laughs> yes. falling off the walls yeah. here. Perhaps a message to us. I find it hard to see them reaching reaching a deal in December from where we are now. Mm. Uh, doesn't sound like it, no. doesn't sound like it. You know, are we into a situation where enough progress is made for them to say we meet again in January, for example? The, the, the next meeting isn't due till March. But I suppose if, if there's some signs of progress, uh, you know, they can always hold an emergency gathering. But... I hate I hate I hate the clock is ticking cliche because we've been uh, mm. we've been there so often but, but they, they can't wait but they can't but it is what is <laughs> what is that regular noise I hear in the background they can't the, the obvious thing is that they can't wait till next March to do this it, it's it's yeah. just too late I think it depends on the British and the state that the leadership of British politics is in at the moment uh, I think anything could happen yeah. and I think when you look at this it it's kind of pushed towards two extremes. Either Britain not quite not quite runs up the white flag, but gives Europe a lot of what it looks for, or it falls apart. It's hard to see kind of a middle negotiated way now. This has gone on so long. Everyone has dug into their position. And that's really not a good I, option. We've seen not, too many no. binary choices no. with apocalyptic outcomes no. in politics internationally over the last, over the last couple of years. Yeah. On that uh, uh, bleak note, we'll leave it there. Thanks very much, uh, Pat Ancliffe, for joining us today. And that's it for this edition of Inside Politics. Thanks to our producer, Declan Conlon, and engineer, JJ Vernon. We're going to be at the Sinn Féin Ardèche at the weekend, so do keep an eye out for that extra show in your podcast feed. Remember that you can always email me at hlinnon at irishtimes.com or you can easily find me on Twitter. And you can also find us on irishtimes.com slash podcast or you can subscribe via iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. But until the next time, goodbye and thanks very much indeed for listening. 